My name is Sadia. I'm Brent. I'm Claire. And I'm Michael. Welcome back to Oats for Breakfast. In this segment, we're going to be continuing the discussion we were having about HBO's Watchmen. So where did we leave off last time? We were discussing reparations as part of a broader question about whether the show is ultimately a progressive show. So what do we make of that? Well, I think that let's take a look at what what were the form of reparations in the show. Let's be clear. I think it was a tax exemption for all black people. Is that right? Mm -hmm. For people who were victims of this massacre. Of just that massacre? Or was it a general, because it was the Redford tax breaks, right? So it suggests that it's a nationwide tax break. But the but when Angela went into the the heritage center, there was a process whereby you had to submit DNA sample, and then it put it, you through the through the machine, and then said mm-hmm. whether you qualified for reparations. So perhaps it was maybe it was nationally a- applicable, but that that center is only in that town. Mm-hmm. So I w- I would think that it's uh, for victims of this. Massacre, but I guess that's another point to make about the show is that there actually isn't much reference to what's going on in the rest of the country besides the fact that the the squids are falling, and then there's reference to New York City, which was hit by the by the squid, which killed three million people. But there's no indication that there's some kind of broad structural reparations program in in the country because it could the tax break could also just be for the state mm-hmm. for Oklahoma. And so the, the subject of reparations more generally, I guess, is often brought up as a form of restorative justice for black people having gone through slavery and Jim Crow and other sort of racial violence. Um, and in this show, that is a reality that at least for the Tulsa massacre, the descendants of the victims were given some form of reparations. And is that meant to be a progressive sort of counterfactual scenario? I think that the show's intention is that it, it's supposed to be read as a progressive counterfactual. We spoke earlier about the possibility of the show exploring the contradictions that might emerge from that type of reparations, right? Like the white resentment and so on as a breeding ground for white supremacy. And um, Sadia, you mentioned that there was no real discussion of black or portrayal of black poor people everyone was just assumed to be all black people were just assumed to be bourgeois or at least that's what we saw in the show right mm-hmm. so i think that that we were meant to take it as a progressive political statement in some ways i didn't really get a sense of um the like well yeah there's definitely bourgeois elements but in general in terms of how the black community is portrayed they seem almost just like without sort of a socioeconomic profile. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. they seem, I think you used the word earlier, uh, Michael, like declassed in a way. But whereas the whites in the show, there's very much, here's the poor whites and here's the rich whites. And they are, you know, working against this community in general, which does not have any sort of divisions that are very noticeable. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just in, in terms of my impression, I didn't get a sense of like, any sort of class division, at least among the black community within the show. And that's interesting because then that again could be expressive of this liberal mainstream view of race where black history is essentialized 
and um, spoken about with very little nuance. And um, the politics becomes one of just moral outrage without actually dealing with the contradictions of black life as it has been experienced throughout history, right? Take take Tulsa, right? Where supposedly the black Wall Street, were there no class tensions between the black bankers and the black clerks mm. in those banks? Because when a black person is engaged in business, it's for the community, it's, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas white people are given the- uh, The complexity of the class. Complexity of class, yeah. yeah. Mm. Although, as we've said, they're, they're, they're not really because they all, they all have Ku Klux Klan gowns in their, yeah. in their closets. Yeah, there is a sort of kind of uh, essentializing that black people are all essentialized to be like declassed together. So there is a certain kind of uniformity, both in like in the time period that we are shown, I guess it's 2019, it's supposed to be. And even historically, we only see well-off black people in in the sort of like flashback moments that we get. And so ultimately the white people, even if they are divided by class, they're united in their white supremacy and black people are just like not divided at all. They're all, you know, more or less the same and in fact they're related to each other so you know they're it's like an oversimplification yeah Yeah. well and i mean reparations as a as a general concept also to think about it in in multiple forms we it's we tend to think about it as you know a cash reparation or a tax break something like that but if we look at how reparations have played out in other parts of the world, um, it does take different forms. Like, in you know, would we consider affirmative action a type of reparation? Because when you think broad, more broadly about it, then then many more things could apply. For instance, in South African universities, it was a policy since the transition and a, and a debate that has gone on since the transition in terms of do we have. Do we use race as a sort of a quota to say that we need X amount of people per race within every program in university? Or do you use income and economic class as the quota system to ensure that there is redistribution in terms of access to higher education? And the argument would be, well, if you use economic indicators, ipso facto, you, you know, majority of people who would qualify would be black because black people were historically the most marginalized. Because what you have seen in South Africa, they recently changed the policy after years of using race is that is that you have a reproduction of elite, but with different of different race, racial groups, but then, you know, where then are working class people or very little who end up making it into the university. Right. I don't know if that was a bit of a tangent. No, 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 no I think no. that's that's good because we, you know, that gets us to talking to the heart of reparations. And in the US and Canada and North America, I think it has been over the last few years, at least in, in my sort of political consciousness, reparations have come up as something that the left should support. And a few of us had listened to um, a debate between Adolf Weed and Kianga Yamada Taylor on this question. And... Taylor takes the position that, of course, it is not just sort of called for for the sake of like justice as such, but it's morally necessary for leftists to back this. And Adolf Weed has disagreed. And, you know, he says that it's not a progressive 
policy. It ends up, it's practically difficult to bring together and it's worse in implementation than a universal universal programs. Mm-hmm. And so this this framing of equality of like universal programs versus equity, what, what the left uses more and more, it's like, no, some people who are more disadvantaged should get more and equality uh, is blind to difference. Mm. Universal equality. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think in The Watchmen, it does, uh, for me watching it, when I saw the scene of the the poor white people, I mean, that that is a depiction of the contradictions of having a sort of a race-based or a reparations that uses something like race or historical disadvantage as the mechanism by which that reparation is is done because of course you have to you have to look at well who who are the people who are disadvantaged right now and then are we in 20 years going to be having a process to look into reparations for that group and that will be a different process so it does it raises difficult questions of the need to really acknowledge the past and acknowledge the histories that have been until i mean i think this if anything the series does something good in terms of raise, you know, raising consciousness on an event in history, in American history, that probably isn't taught in schools or people probably don't know about it. And that's, that in itself is a good thing. But then when coming down to actual policy, like how to deal with the reparations thing, that will have to be looked at as like a sort of, yes, acknowledge the past, but in a way that looks forward to um, prevent you know, these types of inequalities from happening in future. To put it like very crudely, if you keep the if you keep capitalist relations intact, especially if you're keeping it at its most at their most neoliberal extreme, but you're adding in these narrowly defined race-based mechanisms, you end up only producing a different, as Claire was saying, a different type of elite. Because that's I mean that's what we've experienced. That's what we've experienced in in South Africa. So reparations, sure. I mean. Claire and I were discussing that you know the language of redistrib the language of reparations is framed differently in our context because broadly what you're speaking about I think is justice redistributive justice and the means by which one thinks about how that goes depends on what you feel was historically um, the historical causes of the injustice and also how those injustices reproduce themselves today and different people are going to pose different answers to that question so just in in the south african case everybody agrees that you need to have redistribution economic redistribution social redistribution and so on but um it depends on on what your politics uh, how that looks like depends on what your politics are so even south african liberals would argue that there needs to be economic redistribution. They just think that the market is the best mechanism by which that is achieved, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that the, I mean, getting, I think that reparations is a bit, in, in a way, a bit of a, a red herring. Mm-hmm. The conversation is more rooted, substantively, what today is reproducing these inequalities and how best, if, if you think, if you think that capitalism can resolve the issues, then yeah, then you can have a narrowly race-defined a race-defined policy, but if you don't, then I, I don't see how you can, how you can support, especially with the historical experiences of other countries, how you can support that that form of reparations. 
Yeah, I think often the way that this show and also the left thinks about justice is like almost a, like an eye for an eye or like a, a mirror image. Like the justice is the mirror image of what the injustice was, right? So if if black people were oppressed and white people were the oppressors, then justice looks like flipping that that scenario over. So, you know, in that scene of Angela being Sister Knight going and unleashing this sort of brutality as a police officer, as a masked vigilante onto poor white people, it's supposed to be, like, I, I really don't know what the audience is supposed to take away from it, but if it's supposed to be that, you know, we are supposed to feel vindicated that, you know, this is historical justice playing out in some way, or in any case, like, you know, in the case of Black Panther, that, well, you know, we only see black people as a sort of poor, miserable ones, but now we're going to see them as the ruling class. So everything else stays the same. All the other inequalities, all those sort of structures stay the same. The only thing is like the, the characters are flipped. And so the, the races of the characters are flipped. And somehow it's supposed to be good. But it actually doesn't, in reality, doesn't do anything. You're just sort of making yourself feel better because you like this cultural representation of a historical vindication, mm-hmm. right? Vindication or of uh, revenge, mm-hmm. right? Like, but what does it actually do? Because capitalism doesn't work as as if you could do that. You know, it doesn't, it's not as if you can just trade the races of the ruling and the, the ruled classes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Capitalism is historical. And a lot of that privilege that has accrued to the white population. Yeah, sure, you can you can create policies like affirmative action and whatnot, free college and things like that that might redress it a bit, but you're not gonna really change the dominant trajectory by just imagining without any sort of socioeconomic critique, right, of the existing system. So like you're not gonna get anywhere just sort of without basically taking on capitalism itself. And the show expressed that, right? With mm-hmm. with the fact that you still have, you know, poor those whites. the poor whites and you still have these socioeconomic tensions which produce this resentment which mm-hmm. fuel white supremacy shows you that the narrowly defined um, reparation doesn't actually doesn't get to the heart it. of yeah. but of course the show can't mention the show. But it doesn't seem mention, to want to like problematize that you know it get does, beyond it in any way no it's just like these are just or unless i'm i didn't catch that because i think you're right it shows you this sort of contradictions of of uh, this where if you did have a universal policy like you might not have this problem in the first place that might be some might say that's wishful thinking but if you you took all those poor whites and raised their standard of living and also had policies of integration where you know people aren't living in segregated neighborhoods mm-hmm. and things like that like you might not have all of these issues around uh, and if you actually built class consciousness across racial lines you wouldn't have these sort of racial tensions so like the the what reparation could do is is stoke the flames of racial resentment because yeah. some white people are just never going to get it essentially well, it, d- it depends on what context because if you're doing the reparations if you're doing some type of say you're doing some race-based redistribution or you're you're identifying concretely instances of race-based discrimination right and you're saying 
we're going to deal we're going to deal with those however they surface within the within a workplace or within an industry they exist you do that right but you also then complement that with universal programs which change the the architecture of the structure of the economy then you're doing something very different because then you're dealing with horizontal and vertical inequalities you're not prioritizing one over the other and i think that the com- this is where the conversation gets gets sort of lost because you you're sort of made to i feel sometimes that people make you choose right you sort of like race or class and every time you try to say well the, that's complicate things like a little bit thing things are not so clear cut um heads explode mm-hmm. which i think is unfortunate the other thing i was going to mention is that you know when we're talking about like vindication and revenge what we hear from william reeves when he becomes hood of justice is that initially i don't remember if it was his wife who asked him or somebody else who asked him of like why you know what what is the emotion behind the mask and initially he says that it's a lot of anger because he's you know had to go through being the victim of so much both his parents and himself victims of a lot of racial violence and then ultimately when he talks to Angela his granddaughter who's in some ways like playing out exactly across generations a similar thing and he tells her that you know you might think that it's anger that's behind it but it's actually pain and fear and i was wondering whether like you know that sort of humanization is supposed to apply to all the people who are in masks like you know both the roshark people who are in masks the police who are in masks and these vigilantes who are in masks that each of them is just supposed to be so angry all the time but in fact it's just fear and pain um i'm not sure if like this sort of emotional depth is granted to everyone all the characters just particular ones well in in past riots like the um Wilmington massacre for instance in 1898 the way that this massacre was projected in the newspapers and things to the general public referred to these racist ideologies and discourses like oh you know black people are you know violent and this is something you hear in many society you know the white woman and you know people need to be protected from what black people are and then in the context also of these of these massacres or there's also the idea of like the black person who must forgive that will rise above will rise above this anger um in South Africa and the TRC it was this was something that came up you know the black victims were sort of expected to forgive and take the high road and that's what Mandela represented this man who came out with no scorn and no revenge you know he came and just wanted to embrace reconciliation and things and so you see this almost playing out in this one character where in the beginning when he first starts dating the the woman he seems oh I'm not angry I'm not angry and she said you know why you know why are you becoming a cop and things and he's like no I'm not I'm not angry why should I be you know and then later when this um, horrific thing happens to him then he's like now I'm angry and then he puts on the hood and like fucks up those people in that way and that's how you know he can actually affect justice is when he's not himself so yeah I think there are a lot of complicated things with in him because he he's sort of going through these stages of becoming <laughs> in a way like through all of these emotions and at the end he's he, he opens up and he's vulnerable it's like well I, you know I was just hurt and and frightened yeah and i guess like as a segue from his like emotional 
complexity is also his like sexual complexity. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Truly. In that he's also got this underground sexual side of him, which this story doesn't really elaborate on because it's not mentioned at the end and Angela doesn't like engage in it at all. She just sort of enters his mind and sees that he has this double life in terms of having a homosexual lover. But then that's it's not really followed through on mm-hmm. at, at all in the story. Yeah. No, a lot of these issues aren't. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of it was just like to provide the show with a bit of edge to a certain extent, you know, like uh, the sexuality and also the the racial issues, which are very prominent in the first couple episodes. But then you, by the end of it, you've like forgotten all about it. Mm-hmm. And it just becomes like a superhero type movie. So, uh, or sh- show. Um, it's just generally reflective of, um, of, like I was saying before, sort of, ideological movement within the liberal mainstream that is co-opting selective elements of or or, you know creating its own form of identity politics that uh is popping up in a lot of different places now Mm -hmm. and uh it's not necessarily a bad thing but i don't um i do worry if it's if it will co-opt progressives enough you know what i mean Mm -hmm. And like we were saying before with uh, Bernie Sanders and Corbyn, it seems like liberals now, they don't really want to take on the left in terms of policy because they know that their agenda is stale, status quo, neoliberalism, tired, and clearly doesn't excite anyone anymore. So they're just sort of going after this and using it, uh, try to weaponize it in a lot of ways against the left. Yeah, I mean, the fact is, it's just, it's not progressive. And I can give like a personal anecdote, which is uh, my my dad's family was forcibly removed during apartheid. It was my dad's um, grandmother's property. They were forcibly removed. You know, years down the line, the issue of reparations after the TRC um, came up. Uh, other institutions were set up beyond the TRC, like the land rehabilitation committee and so forth, which people are still in the process of land reparations or land restitution, as as they're calling it in, in South Africa. But of course, you know, after many years, the family, the generations have, you know, one couple has children, they have many and so forth. So my father did actually get some reparations. You could also choose whether you wanted land or money. But majority of my dad's family is so poor and the land restitution would have taken way longer. And they were like, no, no, we, we just want money like we need to live. So in the end, when the when money is sort of divided among the cousins, it was something like, I think you got like seven, would amount to like 7,000 Canadian dollars mm-hmm. for property that's worth like millions of rands, right? Which is fine, whatever. My dad built like a deck on our house <laughs> with the money. So... Um, but another family, also from the same area, called the Solomons family, was engaged in this land restitution process and actually got, they waited and they actually got land in the same area where my father and his family were moved from. And they sold the pro. and this was seen as something really momentous, that this land in Constantia, one of the most, the property there is the most expensive in the, in the whole Cape Town, basically. And they sold the property to a developer 
because they're like, what are we, we not going to move back to this like place and we'll make way more money if we basically sell it. So they sold the property to a developer and while I've been in Canada, over the past two months, they opened this mall. <laughs> they built a mall. So obviously you now have one family that's going to like live off you know, be like really rich from all the money from the small for generations. Is it good that it's a family of color? Sure, like they're getting, you know, something which, you know, they wouldn't have gotten before, maybe. But like at the same time, like all else stays the same, right? Like people aren't lift. There's no, there's no structure. South Africa stays the same, and one family has has become rich. Yeah, that's exactly right. So the in that that's a clear example of the individualization of the cause of historical social injustices and the and the cause of their their present day reproduction right so if you so now you make one black family very wealthy but there's no public investment in transport no public investment in housing no public investment in education which means that the majority of the population in south africa still suffer from really extreme forms of material deprivation because of course you know there are politics in the broader black community which would be very welcoming of this type of redistribution and i think that again to speak to the complexity of political life and group political life whether it's racial or cultural it's so on i mean it's a di- it's a differentiated space so someone i would imagine someone would look at that a, a, social, a, a black socialist would look at that in South Africa and say, no, it's not progressive. What difference has it made? Maybe it's made my life, the mall that's been set up and so on has made my wife a little bit harder or something. I don't, I don't know. But these these divisions need to be spoken about. There are divisions in ide- ideology, there are divisions in politics, there are divisions in material interests. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much in that example because it's the people who, the family who started off with not being that badly off were the ones who could actually use the reparations as capital, right? And whereas probably most people would be like, you know, 7,000 Canadian dollars would be a substantial sum for them just because they are like poor enough that their debts and such and their their immediate expenses would eat that up. So there's no way that that would be saved enough to become capital. No, 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 and it's not it's enough not. money anyways. It's not. But like that kind of differentiation then just reproduces like, okay, well, but now those like rich black people are happy and now poor black people, uh, supposedly you've placated them. And maybe in their own consciousness, they feel like, okay, yeah, I got something. And if I didn't do, I didn't uh, make as much use of it as those other people, it's my own fault because, right. you know, I just wasn't responsible enough or entrepreneurial enough and such. And I'll so it's like, enough. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, all I could do was just like spend the money because I don't have enough yeah. money to spend. Yeah. And also, I mean, the, the fact that, you know, some people could afford to wait. And of course, and that was obviously that led to tension in the family because like my dad was like, no, like we should wait, we should wait. And they're just like, no, like we can't, like we can't. We outnumber you, <laughs> so democracy wins. Because the internal logic, it seems akin to almost like a class action lawsuit, right? It's like, okay, well, there was harm done and now there's going to be a payout. And then once the payout has happened, then sort of the scores are settled. Right. Right. And so there's no more conflict as such. But reparations would also presumably be like a one-off. So it'd be like one time thing mm-hmm. well i guess you could design them any way you want but yeah. yeah so the trc in south africa recommended that reparations be paid out over four years so the um commissioner 
Alex Borain, he was explaining to me, he said, so that would be more over time, so people wouldn't spend it in one in one go, and that it would be and more. And this was seven thousand dollars. So no, that was for the that was the portion that my father got oh, okay. from land um, land restitution. The TRC dealt with specifically who were classified as victims of apartheid, victims of things like murder or severe ill treatment, torture, mm. in you know imprisonment without trial, and and those kinds of things. So they but went in and figured out who it was specifically. Yes, yeah. So they had to do some investigating. They it wasn't did. like they just gave it to. No, yeah. no, no. So people had to apply with their story, their account of what happened to them. Okay. Um, and that had to be a human rights violation and that it was committed with political motive. And there were like this checklist of things for you to be like formally classified as a victim. Um, so the TRC suggested a payout. I, I don't know what the amount was um, over four years, but the government eventually did a 30,000 rand once-off payment. So that's more like $3,000 once-off payment to people who are classified as victims by the TRC. And it was seen more as like, it's a symbolic gesture. That sounds pretty symbolic, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I I don't think I have a problem with that. But it's like if if you're just doing it at the expense of the welfare state. Yeah, like I think what Michael was saying, like if it's it's the either-or of these issues – and also universal provisioning could be designed any way you want it, I guess, depending on how much fiscal capacity you can squeeze out of the rich, <laughs> I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Like, I don't think I, – I didn't find the, the reparations in the show that problematic. But if it's used as, like, the only sort of redress for economic poverty and that only one – group is historically deserving of this then that would uh, of course be problematic but yeah but i mean the the show itself as michael was saying that it, it shows that reparations themselves reproduce the yeah. you know we produce the conditions for which the rep- which caused the events that reparations had to be given for to begin with mm. so the whole thing is like a vicious cycle but i mean that's almost taken for granted that it's going that that's what's going to happen that these things you know racial tensions and reasons for racial tensions reproduce themselves over a hundred years in like very similar ways and there is no alternative that's presented that okay well you know maybe if you had another way of of actually addressing the core issues right because like universal program if you take the same amount of money and put them into universal programs like that would actually help more people and wouldn't have the kind of backlash that reparations do which would then both um, both threaten the reparations themselves, but also create new scenarios for which reparations this show, are in the same way, stokes the flames that mm-hmm. it wishes to, <laughs> yeah. you know, call yeah. attention to in the yeah. in a very similar way. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. Yeah. Something which um, I'm, I might be going off, but a bit of a, a segue here. But in the series, there is the the story about Adrian. White, white, who when it starts, he's on this planet, we're not really sure what it is. And then later, we realize that Dr. Manhattan went and created a new world on, is it Europa? Yes. Europa. So just in a bit of a story hole, A, you've got a god, basically. So the first question is, why doesn't he just fix the things on Earth, like inequality? And And that was asked of him. I think like ultimately it was like, oh, he didn't do as much uh he could have done. Right. 
And there was another funny part in the interaction between White, Adrian, and and Dr. Manhattan when he arrives to go and see Adrian White and he is he has assumed the body of the black man, Angela's husband. And Adrian says, you know, you can't just appropriate a body this is like this anymore. Like it's like that's very problematic. <laughs> Which was <laughs> was actually really funny because yeah. it was almost I don't know if it was like a jab at identity politics. Yeah, and this is the ambiguity. You don't know. Mm-hmm. You, you don't, don't know. If, you if, don't if, know if it's a uh, if it's done ironically or if it's done as a nod, as a as a I am with you people type. Yeah, so there's that. And the the idea about building a new world, which is which is part of the discourse of, you know, socialism historically, that we will you know bring, you know, the heaven to earth or and whatnot. And he basically creates a new earth, but this new earth is very strange and it's populated with two archetypes, these two also white people Mm -hmm. and so you know you create this new world but this new world only has white people but then they're not even really people right because they don't come from other people they're born in this magical lake that little babies come out of and then of course he's just killing them off one by one to pass the time and to create a message on the moon or something (laughs) and it's really bizarre because there's something very grotesque about what's going on there and about you know the question of you know what is a human and what is consciousness and the fact that he's just you you know basically creating these people and then brutally murdering them and they just call him master and then the the idea that dr manhattan he was like oh i try to create this new world because i just wanted love and so forth but then the people just kept worshiping me and i couldn't handle it so i just left so you have this new world but then you know, the people, there has to be a master and there there has to be a, one person in charge and the people have to be these consciousless, consciousnessless beings with no sort of agency mm-hmm. at all. I found that that whole saga very disturbing, but again, there was like no resolution of it. You know, they just, when Veidt eventually is rescued by his like maniacal daughter, the people just sort of wave at him by master and that's it bizarre yeah it's supposed to be eden like you know the garden of eden but it's just like i guess they need a fall from grace for like i don't know it's it's very bizarre like i didn't really get what the point they could have done so many interesting things with this show that that they really (laughs) didn't do i kind of liked that oddness about Mm. this show but then it was just like got too odd didn't do anything with it it was just like okay yeah i mean there's a lot i'm not not no too much about religion but yeah there's so many of those references Mm -hmm. to religion and i mean he's blue and the whole blue god uh, that's a indian Mm -hmm. indian god blue blue god the reference to jesus like i said at the end angela walking on water Mm. i mean you could say that dr manhattan was the perfect being and he realized that there is no hope you know, and that's another possible message of the series that he he could see the future and he couldn't see a better society, right? Mm-hmm. And so what he ultimate was. Well, so then, what did he? What was his his goal? Became like an individual goal. Yeah, like, to fall mm-hmm. in love, love better. Do. You know, yeah. and so it became a romance, which always happens at these Hollywood setups, right? Yeah. They they start with a social problem, and it ends up being a love story. But it's not even a developed love story, right? Like we don't even see Angela and like Cal interacting that much. Like they don't have that much chemistry except for when they're like going off having like passionate sex. 
and it's like it's not clear that they even have a healthy relationship because she like keeps so much things from his memory and like yeah (laughs) and it's okay with him just like giving up all of his powers and his memory so that they can be together it's like a yeah weird thing dr manhattan could have given up his powers and become a human being and joined like a social movement you know (laughs) but like he gave up his yeah he gave up his powers and just wanted to you know find love Thanks for tuning in to the second part of our discussion on HBO's Watchmen. We'll be back again next Monday with a new topic, so make sure to check us out then. If you want to get in touch, you can email contact at oatspodcast.com. Thanks again for tuning in. But like maybe one last thing to say, we need to create our own shows. We need to create our own <laughs> culture. Like I'm serious. Yeah. Like dead. Like popular culture that that's, that's demonstrates true. to people. There are that you are. occasionally get some good things. Uh, like Nightcrawler was a good right. movie. Uh-huh. Although Ben's now been when promoting I promoting wa- this movie to everyone. Right, yeah. right. No, but now when I watch it, I, I now when I watch the news, I mm. basically every time there's like a you know democracy now is always like you know shows what's going on in the world like Syria like. Very intense, and I'm just like Jake Gyllenhaal's behind that camera. <laughs> I guess in order to create our own stuff, we would need enough like resources and capital to be able to like put a show like this together. Like the production values are very. It high. needs to be good art too. That's the problem. Yeah. It can't just be have like Should a less message. But. Which is what we leftists tend to do. Like we have like really low standards. We for need to when we <laughs> the produce. art department, like the English departments and the all those cultural departments are like just intense Foucauldians. So <laughs> that's <laughs> well, the problem. We need more Marxists. There's some, but not enough apparently. Not enough. <laughs>